Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. President Barack Obama's decision to consult Congress before launching any military strikes on Syria came as a surprise to friend and foe alike. So how is this political gamble likely to work out? And what are the implications for the crisis in Syria and for the use of American power around the world? Joining me on the line to discuss those questions are James Blitz, our diplomatic and security correspondent, and from Washington, our bureau chief there, Richard McGregor. Richard, first, give us an idea. Do you think President Obama's got the votes in Congress? Do you think this will go through? Well, he hasn't got them yet. I mean, the initial signs have been good in as much as you've had the leadership of both parties in the House and also some of the grand barons of the Senate have all come out in favour of action of some kind. But of course, we all need to remind ourselves that Congress, particularly in the House, is pretty much a leaderless mob in many votes. John Boehner in particular, who leads the majority as Speaker in the House of Representatives, never brings many votes with him. And there will be many Republicans who vote against Obama just because it's Obama. Ironically, it might be up to Nancy Pelosi, the peacenik so-called anti-war San Francisco, will be the one who might have to get Mr. Obama the votes. But I'd say the early stages, the yes case has momentum, but I don't think anybody's calling this yet. And when is the vote expected? Sometime next week? Do we have a day yet? They want want it to be brought on very quickly next week. Congress is back on September 9, which I think is the Monday. So we might see it, I, I guess, in the first two, three days of next week. And the opinion poll background is not very encouraging, is it? I mean, if congressmen are looking at the polls, they're telling them, as they did indeed in Britain, that probably the public don't want this. Well, the polls are telling them that. Their constituents have been telling them that for years. Constituent phone calls in the last week or so when this has come up as an issue have been running very much in favour against any kind of military involvement. I guess many people in the public who don't follow the news so closely you know, might think the US is about to invade Syria. And I think the administration and its supporters have a big task in persuading them that <clears throat> that's not the case. But of course, the people might have a good instinctive understanding of these issues that once you get a little bit pregnant, you're pregnant. And the idea there's going to be a sort of quarantine campaign doesn't really wash. So yes, public opinion is not on the administration's side. James, President Obama's decision came as a big surprise. It also came a couple of days after the British Prime Minister, David Cameron, had failed to carry Parliament in his bid to persuade them of the case for military action in Syria. How do you think America's key allies in Britain, in Europe, or around the world are seeing this decision by Obama? Do they sympathise with it or are they a bit baffled by it? Well, I think in the UK, in number 10 Downing Street, it's been very bittersweet. There's no question that on Saturday night, when this remarkable announcement came from President Obama, as one senior Downing Street official said to me within minutes of that, we're absolutely gobsmacked, he said. We only found out about this half an hour ago. 
I think there are two ways in which the Cameron people are seeing it. On the one hand, they think it's good news because they clearly made a huge mess of the parliamentary process last week. And I, I suppose it's good for Cameron now that the British public is seeing that President Obama's got a struggle on his hands and he may or, as Richard says, may not make it. But at the same time, what they're also saying is, my goodness, it would have been great if right at the outset of this whole thing, President Obama had actually said, well, perhaps this is going to take time and one does need to get broader backing, not necessarily in Congress, but certainly in the public. There are some people in number 10 who say that David Cameron right at the outset was saying to President Obama, this is going to take a bit longer than you think. But the Obama administration was insisting on going for this deadline of having the strike last Saturday. The bottom line in the UK is that David Cameron is not thinking of reopening that debate. The British are going to stay out of military action is what he's saying, whatever President Obama does. And what kind of a message do you think it sends about American power? Because I guess the point of the strike is is that it's a, it's a deterrent. It's to show that there are red lines that have been crossed and America will respond. But the fact that this process is so long and so agonized, don't you think it's slightly in danger of sending the opposite message that America is very, very reluctant to respond, even if it does ultimately? I think that very much is the case. And I think my initial reaction, I have to say, on Saturday night when I saw what had happened, what President Obama was doing was, what is the point of this military strike? I mean, at the end of the day, I still think that the Obama administration is looking to do something from, from what one sees, which is narrow and focused. There have been the occasional indications that they might try and make it a bigger operation, which tries to tilt the battlefield. But the fact is that if you're going through all of this soul searching, not only by the White House, but now by Congress, and in the end, you do actually something which is just a sort of pinprick, if you like, it's wrapping the Assad administration across the knuckles, then it is going to lead the wider world with some doubts about US power and US decision making. I think clearly the Israelis, for example, are watching all this and saying, good grief, you are going through all of this soul searching over a modest military operation. What are you going to do if the Iranians plow on with their nuclear program? How will you respond to that? And I think one of the risks for the Obama administration is that this whole saga is going to end up once again dislocating Israel and the US in terms of policy on Iran, with the Israelis once again possibly saying we may have to do stuff on our own, which was where we were a year ago. And Richard, in Washington, I mean, another question that people are raising is, well, what's the larger strategic concept here? Because amidst all President Obama's repeated insistence that this is a limited action, no boots on the ground, it does slightly leave hanging the question, well, does he have a political vision for Syria? Is he even clear that he wants the rebels to win? Or uh, what is the end game? It's a good question. Uh, as James said, is it a pinprick or, or do they try and tilt the battlefield? And of course, if it is a pinprick, then what's the point and what happens six, nine months from now as atrocities continue? Of course, if they tilt the battlefield, it's tilt towards what? That's been one of the big issues in Washington over their refusal to intervene is because on the other side of Assad are many jihadis and supporters of al-Qaeda. The second strategic point, which James also raised as well, is what this means for the bigger issue of Iran and Israel, an important and powerful U.S. ally. Certainly, supporters of Israel lobbying Congress could be important in getting it across the line. But Israel itself doesn't want to be seen to be responsible or publicly pushing a strike against the Middle Eastern country across the line. But by the same token, they want to make the point that if the U.S. can't act on Syria, then would it ever act on Iran? So 
there's all sorts of calculations here which cut both ways and which make it a very, very difficult issue, even though in theory it's just a limited military strike. Do you think the Obama administration behind the scenes does have a bigger picture, either a diplomatic one or a sense of how it's going to be resolved in Syria, or do they just feel that this is a symbolic act they have to take, otherwise they look weak? Well, it's certainly symbolic on the one level. If there is a bigger picture, a bigger strategy for Syria, it's hard to see what it is, particularly because the conflict itself is so entrenched and so impervious to outside influence other than the groups like Iran and Hezbollah, which are battling on on one side. And I think, you know, they, the administration appears, I don't know whether it feels, quite powerless to intervene. And I think that's patently obvious. And obviously for the U.S., standing in the Middle East, that is not a good way to look. And James, do you think there is any hope, though, that things might change diplomatically? We've had these little hints out of Iran that Rafsanjani, the former leader, was talking about, yes, this was a chemical attack by the Assad government, which if that became an official Iranian line would change the picture. The Russians, President Putin, began to talk about, at least raise the possibility of a UN resolution authorising force. Is it possible that the diplomatic track could get back on track because of this new crisis? Well, you can't exclude it. And I think there have been, as you've seen, Gideon, and everybody else who's reported on this, there have been so many twists and turns in the story over the last two weeks that one wouldn't exclude anything. The Iranian position is certainly interesting because on the one hand, uh, they are very close allies of the Assad regime. On the other hand, they were victims of chemical gas attacks by Saddam Hussein in the 1980s. And so it cuts both ways. And you've seen these interesting comments by President Rouhani, the new Iranian leader, who's been really condemning the use of gas in conflict in any way. But of course, the, the Hamane leadership, the supreme leader, looks somewhat more rigid. So it's hard to say how that will cut. As far as Russia's concerned, you're right. I thought it was interesting. President Putin did make some slightly emollient comments for him today in an interview with the AP where he was saying a couple of things. One was that they've suspended the transfer of these S-300 surface-to-air missiles which the Syrians wanted. And that's an interesting gesture that he's made. And he's also said something about backing a UN resolution if it could be proved that the Assad regime had used these weapons. Now, what's interesting there, I think, is just the idea that he's raised at all about moving away from the Assad regime. He's never actually done that before. But my feeling about President Putin is he's trying to say some soft things ahead of the G20 summit where he's bringing everybody together and wants to have some semblance of success. In the long run, I still think it's going to boil down to the congressional vote next week, and that is really going to determine whether the US is pressing ahead or not, and that's really what we have to wait for. Okay, final question for you both. One of the background factors before the crisis over the chemical attack, and and even since, has been the sense that the military and intelligence establishments in both the US and the UK weren't totally convinced by the military options that are on the table or by the idea of aiding the rebels. Do you get the sense now that reluctantly they're coming on board and that there is a coherent battle plan, if one can call it that, for for these strikes? Richard, in Washington, do you think the military know what they're going to be tasked with and are prepared to do it? I certainly think Martin Dempsey, the chief of the general staff, uh, has not been a cheerleader. He's been a loyal soldier. And as he outlined it before Congress yesterday, his brief is to degrade and deter. And he's stuck pretty firmly to that. You know, I guess Mr. Obama has been using General Dempsey's words on one level by saying that 
General Dempsey advised him that the strike could take place at any time, one week, you know, one month, six months from now, uh, as a crutch for delaying it and going to Congress. But certainly General Dempsey has not been out front in advocating action. Having said that, he was part of the Troika last year along with Mr Panetta, Hillary Clinton, who did advocate greater intervention in Syria by the US. And James, finally, if it does come to a military strike, which I guess still looks likely, do you think we have a clear view of what's, of what's going to happen and what they're going to try and achieve? No, I don't think we do. I think it's veered all over the place. And just following on what Richard was saying there, the very strong impression I have here, and I think it must be the case to some degree in the US, is the advice to political leaders has been that this idea of just wrapping Assad across the knuckles is wrong. Military chiefs want a strategy around whatever happens. In other words, if you want to do something, Mr. President, I think the argument will be you need to try and do something like tilting the battlefield. Just wrapping him across the knuckles isn't enough. But if you look at all the comments that have come out of Congress in the last few days and what the administration has been saying, it's a little bit all over the place. On the one hand, they're talking about a narrow operation. On the other hand, you've heard uh, people like John McCain say it could be much more substantial. My feeling is that if Congress votes yes to all this and it does get the, the green light, I just think in the end, the administration will go and do something much more substantial than they had imagined because so much political energy will have got into it that it will just look strange to do something modest. James Blitz, thank you very much for that. And thanks also to Richard McGregor in Washington. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.